Well, it's going to be a little bit different today. I'm uh, getting ready to go on sabbatical this week. Uh, technically leave, well not leave, but technically start sabbatical on June 1st. And um, uh, some folks asked me to, I don't know, maybe put out an information sheet or somehow communicate to you all what a sabbatical is because it's not something that we normally do around here. So I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just share this morning a little bit from God's Word on why, why I'm doing this. I, uh, I, we're, we're getting ready to finish up that new wing of the building, and sometimes when you walk around a building, you will see something like this. Uh, in case of emergency, break glass. And usually something behind that glass is helpful in case of an emergency, like a fire extinguisher. You get the idea, something like that. Well, um, I've said this before, I think my in case of emergency break glass book is this book right here called The Preacher and His Models by James Stalker, who's dead, long time dead. Um, and uh, I, I love this book. And I this book was a series of lectures that were delivered to uh, Yale, of all places, by a Scottish pastor delivered to seminary students at Yale. Boy, how things have happened. Um, but back in the uh, late 1800s, 1891 to be exact. But I keep the book around because of the appendix at the back. The appendix is, uh, the appendix is a little, a few page, uh, some remarks that were given at the ordination of a Reverend William Agnew, who was about ready to start his ministry in uh, Gallatown, Kirk Caldy, Scotland in 1879. Uh, James Stalker, incidentally, just in case you don't know who this guy is because, you know, he's dead. But uh, James Stalker was a minister, lecturer, preacher for the Free Church of Scotland. And he was born in Crife, Perthshire, and educated at the University of Edinburgh. And this is a quote, where he had a career of remarkable distinction, winning prizes in every class. He did especially well in philosophy and gained third place in English literature. So he's kind of a smart guy. The reason I'm bringing this up is that he is going to, in his, uh, in his ordination remarks, which I'm going to read some to you this morning, uh, he's going to mention uh, 1 Timothy 4.16. And I just wanted to connect that, for, you know, even as, as late as last week when we were working our way through Acts, Timothy was mentioned once again. Timothy was a younger pastor. Paul had led him to the Lord or um, or e either had led him to the Lord or called him into ministry. And, uh, and now Timothy is kind of an assistant of Paul. But eventually Timothy is going to be the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And um, he's got quite a work cut out for him. So Paul writes in, in the Bible, we have two letters written from Paul to Timothy, First and Second Timothy. And uh, that's the, that's the uh, there's a text in there that Stalker is going to base his ordination remarks on. Before I even get started, uh, let me just say that the big question for today is what is the purpose of a sabbatical? And um, uh, let me just say this, that I'm fine. Everything's fine. Uh, I'm not sick. I don't have a, an, an undisclosed diagnosis, and I'm not in any trouble that I know of. Um, uh, I, I may be in trouble that I don't know of, but how would I know that? Um, we, uh, we are simply going to talk about uh, what the purpose is of a, a sabbatical day. And I actually thought about rephrasing this question because um, I think it would be a good way to rephrase it, but I didn't, which would be, why, why should you demand that your pastor take a sabbatical every now and again? Why should you demand? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, argue that um, 
uh, it would be good for not just the pastor, but for you all as well. Let me tell you a story about kind of how we got here, practically speaking. Uh, when I got here in 2012, just before then, the church had written an employee handbook. I know, we have an employee handbook, we're all fancy. Um, most organizations do, but we didn't for a long time, and Dr. Fred Miser was uh, very instrumental in that, and we have an employee handbook. So I was reading, as I was contemplating coming to Delaware Bible Church, I read the employee handbook, and it said, you can work your way up over, I think, 10 years to have uh, six weeks of vacation uh, per year. And if you know me, uh, my first thought was, I'm never going to take six weeks of vacation, ever. Like, that's just not going to, I'm just not wired that way. I, I don't know if it's because I grew up on a farm and we never took vacation. Um, I mean, my idea of a vacation was going to stay the night in a hotel with a pool. <laughs> that's, I'm not kidding. We, like, we did that once a year, and we, we were able to get away from, from the animals for a whole day, you know, and then it was back to slopping the pigs when I got back. Um, anyway, so I was reading the point, and I thought, oh my goodness, six weeks of vacation. Uh, I, I don't think I'll ever take six weeks of vacation. So I asked the elders if I could reword that a little bit, and they said, okay. So uh, I said, I changed the wording to say that you could work your way up to four weeks of vacation, but that pastors could, after such and such period of time, take a sabbatical. And then I, to I wrote that in there and then totally forgot about it until last year when um, uh, Dan Witt at an elder meeting said uh, something along the lines of, I think we need to make Scott take a sabbatical. <laughs> I think he was getting tired of me or tired of long elder meetings. I don't know. He's in California, so I can talk about him. Uh, but so Dan Witt and, and to which the elder said, amen. So uh, it wasn't just like that. It was more like we agree Scott should take a sabbatical. So uh, I don't know if it's because Dan Witt is the founding pastor's son, and as a pastor's kid, he has a little bit of insight on, maybe he can tell when a pastor's running out of gas or something, I don't know, but uh, he suggested that I take a sabbatical. Now, just want to be forthright and say, uh, a pastoral sabbatical is not a thing in the Bible. I, I can't point you to a scripture, passage, chapter, and verse and say, right here it says, pastor, take a sabbatical. It doesn't say that. So we, so what are we even talking about? Let's just close up the Bible and go home. Well, there's all kinds of ideas in the scriptures uh, that I think point us in that direction. And first and foremost is the whole idea of rest or Sabbath. In Genesis chapter 1, you know, God makes the, creates everything in, in six days. And on the seventh day, what did he do? He, he rested, right? Uh, one of the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, right? There's something about rest that God wants to be part of the ebb and flow of, of the, his created order, right? Uh, if you, and you don't have to turn there, I'll just read, but in the Old Testament law in Leviticus 25, it talks about a Sabbath year. So let me just read a little bit this to you. Uh, Leviticus chapter 25, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land I will, that I will give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. 
You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest to the land. The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, for yourselves and for your male and female slaves and for your hired worker and the sojourner who lives with you and for, and for your cattle and for the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. And then it goes on to talk about even more rest in the year of Jubilee. What I'm saying is, is that this idea of rest, by the way, um, if you are a control freak and you read Leviticus 25, you're probably going nuts right now, right? Like, what do you mean? It's just going to be there? The food's just going to be there? What are you talking about? No, we've got to have control. Um, there seems to be a, a theme in Scripture that points us to rest and dependence on God. Rest and dependence on God. So, with all that being said, um, I'm going to... I'm going to open up 1 Timothy uh, 4.16. I'm going to read that to you. And then I'm going to share with you from the, uh, from the different points that Stalker made in his book. And then reflect on some things myself. Fair enough. It's going to be weird. It's going to be different. You'll be fine. You're going to survive it. Okay. All right. Here we go. 1 Timothy 4.16. In the King James, by the way. Yes, I'm reading in the King James because that's what Stalker had to work with. We read this, take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Let me read that in the, in, uh, in the ESV, just to be more clear. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, uh, indulge me for a few minutes while I read to you a little bit from this ordination charge. Remember, this is Stalker giving remarks at a man, to a man who's about to enter the ministry. He's been through the training, he's been selected, he's been called, and now he's about to go take his first church. This is what Stalker writes. Take heed unto thyself. That's a, the first point that he makes. Take heed unto thyself. Perhaps there is no profession which so thoroughly as ours tests and reveals what a man is, the stature of his manhood, the mass and quality of his character, the poverty or richness of his mind, the coldness or warmth, or warmth of his spirituality. These all come out in our work and become known to our congregation and the community in which we labor. When a man comes into a neighborhood as you are doing now, he is to a large extent, an unknown quantity. And it is very touching to observe the exaggeration with which we are generally looked on at first. People attributing to us a sort of indefinite largeness. But it is marvelous how soon the measure of a man is taken and how he finds his level in the community. And people know whether he is a large or petty man, whether he is a thinker or not, and whether he is a deeply religious man or not. The glamour of romance passes off and everything is seen in the light of common day. The sooner this takes place, the better. The, a true man does not need to fear it. He is what he is and nothing else. He cannot, by taking thought, add one cubit to his stature. Any exaggeration of his image in the minds of others does not really... not in reality, make him one inch bigger than he is. 
It seems to me to lie at the very root of a right ministerial life to be possessed with the following idea. To get quit of everything like pretense and untruthfulness, to wish for no success to which one is not entitled, and to look upon the elevation into any position for which one is unfit as pure calamity. The man's self, the very thing that he is, standing with his bare feet on the bare earth, this is the great concern. This is the self to which you are to take heed what you really are, what you are growing to, and what you may yet become. All our work is determined by this, the spirit and the power of our preaching, the quality of the influence we exert, the tenor of our walk, and the conversation. We can no more rise above ourselves than water can rise above its own level. We may indeed do ourselves more than justice. Uh, sorry, we may indeed often fail to do ourselves justice but, and sometimes may do ourselves more than justice, but that is only for a moment. The total impression made by ourselves is an unmistakable thing. What is in us must come out and nothing else. All we say and do is merely the expression of what we are. Evidently, therefore, there can be nothing so important as carefully to watch over our inner life and see that it be large, sweet, and spiritual, and that it be growing. Yet, the temptations to, ne to neglect and overlook this and turn our attention in other directions are terribly strong. The ministerial life is a very, very outside life. It is lived in the glare of publicity. It is always pouring out. We are continually preaching, addressing meetings, giving private counsel, attending public gatherings, going from home to home, frequent, frequenting church courts, receiving visits, and occupied with details of every kind. We live in a time when all men are busy and ministers are the busiest of men. From Monday morning until Sunday night, the bustle goes on continuously. Our life is in danger of becoming all outside. We are called upon to express ourselves before conviction has had time to ripen. Our spirits get too hot and unsettled to allow the dew to fall on them. We are compelled to speak what is merely the recollection of conviction which we had some time ago and to use past feeling over again. Many a day you will feel this. You will long with your whole heart to escape away and escape somewhere into obscurity and to be able to keep your mouth closed for weeks. You will know the meaning of the great text for ministers. The talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. Penury is an oppressive lack of resources. This is what we have to fight against. The people we live among and the hundreds of details of our calling will steal away our inner life altogether, if they can. And then, what will our outer life be worth? It is worth nothing. The inner life gets thin and shallow. The outer life becomes a perfunctory discharge of duties. Our preaching will be empty and our conversation and and dialogue unspiritual, unenriching, and flavorless. We may please our people for a time by doing all that they desire and being at everyone's call, but they will turn around on us in disappointment and in anger in the day when we, living merely by the outer life, 
have become empty, shallow, and unprofitable. Take heed to thyself. If we grow strong and large inwardly, our people will reap the fruit in due time. Our preaching will have sap and power and unction, and our dialogue will have about it the breath of another world. And then Stalker goes on to talk about the practical realities of the ministry and how he structures his daily study time and rest time. I want to be honest with you and say that 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 portion of that ordination charge very much rings true with me. Uh, I often feel the pressure to sacrifice my long-term self for the tyranny of the urgent and that is not doing myself or you any favors at all. I intend to spend time during this time away going deeper into the joy of the Lord and the joy of gospel ministry through study of God's word. If you stand back and take a big picture look at the Bible, there's a couple of things that just become very obvious, and that is the great commandment is always before us. Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. Now, let me just... Let me just tell you something. Whenever I go to the doctor, I hear the same two things over and over again that you probably hear as well. And those things are diet and exercise. Amen? Do you guys hear that? When you go to the doctor, maybe you're not old like me, but when you go to the doctor and you get old, you're going to hear diet and exercise. Diet and exercise. Have you been dieting? Have you been exercising? That's what you're going to hear. This, and, and let me, before I leave that point, let me just say this. Here's what's not easy about life, diet and exercise, right? I mean, let's be honest. Uh, how many of y'all have a Y membership and haven't used it in the last month? Don't raise your hand. But how, are there people in here that have an Anytime Fitness card and it's dusty, you know? And, you know, when, when's the last time that, somebody brought donuts to the office and you said, nah, I'm good. I'm just going to, you know. In the same way, loving God with all your heart, soul, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, right, and loving your neighbor as yourself, these, ta- these things require time and effort. Time and effort. And uh, if a person such as myself were to succumb to the tyranny of the urgent and not give due time to learning to love God and learning to love others, well, the results of that would be catastrophic. So this time away will be spent refocusing on those things. Also, on the mission, right? Uh, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus said, all authority has been... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. One of the things I find most fascinating about Jesus is that um, he seemed to have uh, he seemed to have focus, like just tremendous amounts of focus. I don't know about you. 
But I'm sure that if God, and maybe this is one of the reasons that God has not allowed these apostolic, Jesus healing and the apostolic healing gifts to continue to this day. Because I don't know about you, if I had the gift of healing, like I could just lay my hands on someone and make them well again, I would probably do exactly what Leroy Jenkins did down the street where the new health department building went, where that building was standing long ago, and I'd probably just set up shop and just heal people for money, right? But that's not the mission. Uh, speaking of the example of Jesus, look at Mark 1, 35 to 39. It says this, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed, went out to a desolate place, desolate, free of distraction. Jesus didn't... Uh, uh, take his uh, iPhone with him. Uh, he departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He connected with God the Father. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, okay, okay, let's, let's pause for a second. If you read this in context, one of the reasons that everybody's looking for him is that the previous day he had done a lot of healing. And as is often the case in the world that we live in, there was a lot of healing that was still needed. And so the reason that they're looking for him, the reason everyone is looking for you is because they're, at, they're wanting Jesus to come back into town and get the healing again, get that, get that practice up and going. And he said to him, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. He was doing, he was still probably healing and casting, well, we know he was healing and casting out demons, but he stayed on mission. And brothers and sisters, just to be honest with you, that there's times where I feel like it's easy for me to get sidetracked into this or that other thing and to get sidetracked into some other way of thinking. And so I'll be spending time while I'm away focusing on loving God, loving others, being intentional about how I love God, love others, and also how this church is or is not on its mission. Why? Because we want to be like Jesus. By the way, this is, this is just me talking. This is one of the litmus tests that I sh should be using more diligently to mete out my time, right? We all have 24 hours in a day. We all have time. That's all. That's the great equalizer. And so when people to ask you to get involved in this or that cause or this or that effort or this or that whatever, um, there is very much a sense in which you can't give away so much of your time that you can't go back and be intentional about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind. It means that if you've given away so much time that you don't have time to read your Bible and to pray, you are out of calibration. You're you're. Uh, that's not good. And if all of your life activities, if none of your life activities have anything to do with making disciples of Jesus Christ, same thing. So we'll be, I'll be taking some time uh, during sabbatical to, to take heed of myself, to keep a cl close watch on myself. So, uh, and I'll be ministering to my family and, and my wife. I mean, you can talk to Tracy. She was at first service this morning, but Tracy, uh, uh, I, I don't envy pastor's wives like at all. 
uh, I come home from a long day's work and uh, we have dinner or whatever and I sit down and, I, and I'm talking to my wife and what do you think I want to talk about? All the stuff that's going on at church. And what do you think she wants to talk about? All the stuff that's going on with us and our kids. And, you know, and, and so pray for uh, us as we're gone. Um, we'll, we'll be doing that. The second thing that he says in, the, in his uh, ordination that Stalker says is in his ordination address is take heed to the doctrine. Take heed to the do- doctrine. Let me read. I'm just going to read a little bit out of this section because it get, gets uh, going pretty quick here. He says, Stalker writes this, a very little experience of preaching will convince you that in relation to the truths which you have to minister week by week to your people, you will have to sustain a double character, that of an interpreter of a scripture and that of a prophet. Let me say something about the former. With whatever high-flown notions a man may begin his ministry, yet if he is to stay for years in a place and keep up a fresh kind of preaching and build up a congregation delivering such discourses as Scotsmen like to hear. He's Scottish. He will find that he must heartily accept the role of an interpreter of Scripture and lean on the Bible as his great support. This is your work. The book is put into your hands today that you may unfold its contents to your people, conveying them into their minds by all possible avenues and applying them to all parts of their daily life. It is a grand task. I cannot help congratulating you on being ordained to this ministry today. For this above everything, for this above everything, that the Bible is henceforth to be continually in your hands, that the study of it is to be your, the work of your life, and that you are, to continually sink, you are to be continually sinking and bathing your mind in its truths, and that you are to have the pleasure of bringing forth what you have discovered in it to feed the minds of men, the ministerial profession is to be envied more than anything else. I promise you that if you be true to it, this book will become dearer to you every day, and it will enrich every part of your nature, and you will become more and more convinced that it is the Word of God, and it contains the only remedy for the woes of man. But be true to it. The Bible will be what I have said to you if only, if only you go deep into it. If you, keep, if you keep to the surface, you will weary of it. There are some ministers who begin their ministry with a certain quantity of religious doctrine in their mind, and what they do all their life afterwards is to pick out texts and make them into vessels to hold so much of it. The vessels are of different shapes and sizes, but they are all filled with the same thing, and oh, it is poor stuff however orthodox and evangelical it may seem. What Stalker is saying here to this man who's about to enter the ministry is that you are a student of the word of God and in order for you to be a good preacher, you're going to have to make that a lifelong study. And so I will admit to you that... um, uh, over, the, over my time here, I've had this really bad practice of getting excited about some new thing that I want to learn, and I'll go and I'll do some research and I'll figure out what are the key books in that area, and I'll go buy those books, and then uh, ministry life will happen, and those books will end up on the shelf collecting dust. And so I'm going to be taking some time 
on this sabbatical to explore some of those vistas that I have not been able to yet uh, explore. Um, you know, you can think of me as a, you know, that I'm on like a uh, Lewis and Clark expedition into God's word, uh, learning things that I uh, are not all that familiar with right now. This is not new. This is not a new concept. Uh, when you read through the book of Acts, by the way, you, you read in Acts chapter 9 and think that Paul gets converted on the road to Damascus. He, he was a guy who was a Pharisee. He was a persecutor of the Jews, or the Christians, sorry. And yet, uh, when Paul got converted, if you just kind of read, kind of in your mind, the picture forms that Paul just gets converted, and the next thing you know, he's in the church of Jerusalem, and then he's in the church of Antioch, and he's going out and he's serving all these churches. Paul actually went away, if you do your historical study, Paul actually went away to Arabia for about three years. And in those three years, he probably thought through and produced most of what was in the letter to the Romans. He developed his theology. And that takes time and that takes effort. Uh, one man <laughs> who shall remain nameless, a pastor friend of mine, likened it to uh, being in labor with a child. Now, ladies, don't throw rocks at me. I have no idea what labor feels like, okay? But it's just, it's, it's a, it's a, it can be a, a very difficult, strenuous, and painful project, process to get uh, into there and really study. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, it says, do your best to present yourself to God as, a, as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And, um, I intend to spend, and, and I have a plan all put together to spend time uh, studying God's word while I am away. Hebrews 13, 17, uh, which I typically stress the first part, but today I want to stress the middle, says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as one who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there is a weight that I carry with me whether you know it or not. And that weight is that when things unfold in the world, I feel like I need to understand as best I can the biblical response or how, how what does the Bible say about these things that are happening? And oftentimes, not often, but frequently, not, I mean, not terribly often, but once in a while I just feel like I would love to have a few weeks to go away and just study that and think it through and instead I'm relegated to shoving that t study time into the nooks and crannies between things that are, that are happening so I intend to take time to become a better be, become better equipped myself in some of these areas so that I can come back and be better equipping you I believe that there are subjects that I need to study more deeply and subjects that the church needs to hear. And let me just say this. Uh, one of the things that I think that we need to hear, now probably more than ever, is to understand the joy of walking with Christ. Just the sheer joy and the, the goodness of God to give us his word and to give us the things that we are to live according to. If you see living God's word as drudgery, now, let's, let's not confuse drudgery with effort, right? Any good thing that we want in this life, any good thing that, that, any good thing that we want to attain requires effort. That doesn't mean it has to be a drudgery, right? 
And so, yes, following Christ is not always easy, but if we're doing it properly, it should be filling us with joy. And I think I need to go deeper on that. All right, the third and final point of Stalker's ordination address is take heed to them that hear you. And I actually absolutely love, love, love what I'm about to read to you. It's only a few pages, so I'm going to read the whole thing. Stalker says this, I almost envy you the new joy that will fill your heart soon when you fairly get connected with your congregation. The first love of a minister for his own flock is as original and peculiar as a blossom of the heart of any other that could be named. Let me just, let me put that in, what, what I just read, I'm gonna put that in Scott T. language. You're about to go find, you're about to go find that your congregation is unique and weird. And you're gonna love them. You are a unique and weird congregation, and I am a unique and weird pastor. Call it nerd love, call it whatever you want. But um, I just love that line. I'm going to read it again. The first love of a minister for his own flock is as original and peculiar as a blossom of the heart as any other that could be named. And the bond that unites him to those who he has been... And the bond that unites him to those whom he has been the means of converting or raising to higher levels of life is one of the tenderest in existence. You have come to a hearty people who will be quite disposed to put on a good construction, to put a good construction on you to all you do. This is a very busy community that appreciates a man who works hard. If you do your work faithfully and preach with the heart and the head, they will come to hear you. It is wonderful how lenient those who hear us are. You will wonder, I dare say, some Sabbaths, that they sit to hear you at all, or that having heard you, they ever come back again. Stalker is saying, it's a, hang on a second. I don't know why I didn't. This is like the one time in my life I didn't silence my phone. This is Stalker saying, it's a mirror, you know, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be on some Sundays and you're going to say, why are these people even coming here? But if a man is really true, he is not condemned for one single poor sermon. Honestly, honest and thorough work, honesty and thorough work are, and good thinking are not so easily found in the world that a man who generally exhibits them can be neglected. If we fail, it must surely generally be our own fault. The more we put ourselves on a level with the people, the better. We stoop to conquer. It is better to feel that we belong to the congregation than it belongs to us. Amen. I like to think of the minister as only one of the congregations set apart by the rest for a particular purpose. A congregation is a number of people associated for their moral and spiritual improvement. And they say to one of their number, this is important. He's going he's to paint a word picture that I think is so vividly important. So the, hang, hang with me for just a minute. A congregation is a people of a number of people associated for their moral and spiritual improvement. And they say to one of their number, look, brother, we are busy with our daily 
toils and confused with domestic and worldly cares. We live in confusion and darkness, but we eagerly long for peace and light and to cheer and to illuminate our life. And we have heard that there is a land where these things are to be found, a land of repose and joy, full of thoughts that breathe and words that burn. But we cannot go thither ourselves. We are too embroiled in the daily cares. Come, we will elect you and set you free from our toils and you shall go thither for us and week by week trade with that land and bring us its treasures and spoils. Oh, woe to him who accepts this election and yet failing through idleness to carry on the whole noble merchandise appears to be appears week by week empty-handed or with merely counterfeit treasure in his hands. Woe to him, too, if, going to that land, he forgets those who sent him and spends his time there in selfish enjoyment of the delights of knowledge. Woe to him if he does not week by week return laden and even more richly laden and saying, yes, brothers, I have been there. I have been to that land, and it is a land of light and peace and nobleness, but I have never forgotten you and your needs and the dear bonds of our brotherhood. And look, I have brought back this, and I have brought back this, and yes, I have brought back this. Take them and gladden and purify your life. I esteem it one of the chief rewards of our profession that it makes us respect our fellow man. It makes us continually think of even the most degraded of them as immoral souls with magnificent, undeveloped possibilities in them as possible sons of God and brethren of Christ and heirs of heaven. Some men by their profession are continuously, continually tempted to take low views of human nature, but we are forced to think worthily of it. A minister is no minister who does not see the wonder in a child in the cradle and in the peasant in the field, relations with all time before and after, and eternity above and beneath. Not but that we see the seamy side too, the depths as well as the heights we get glimpses of the awfulness of sin of the heart. We are made to feel the force of corrupt nature's mere inert resistance to good influences. And we have to feel the pain of the slowness of the movement of goodness as perhaps no other men do. Yet love and undying faith and the value of the soul and the hope for all men are the mainsprings of our activity. For the end, we always aim at is to save those who hear us. Think, of, think what that is. What a magnificent life work. It is to fight against sin, to destroy the works of the devil, to make human souls gentle, noble, and godlike, and to help on the progress of the world, to sow the seed of the future, and to prepare the population of heaven to be fellow sufferers and fellow workers with Christ and to glorify God. This is your work. And the only true measure of ministerial success 
is how many souls you save, save in every sense, in the sense of regeneration and of sanctification and redemption. The end. When I go away for sabbatical on Thursday or whenever it actually happens, and I set myself to study, you're going with me. You just aren't going to go with me physically. The work that I'm going to do while I'm away is work that's not going to just be refreshing to me, but it's going to be beneficial to you. That's one of the reasons that I'm doing it. 1 Peter 5, 1-4 says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as partaker, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The purpose of a sabbatical, part of the purpose of a sabbatical is for me to get better at that, at shepherding. I do you no favors by knowing that one of you is wandering away from the Lord and drifting further and further into the clutches of the evil one and saying nothing. I do you no favors by not understanding what God has said in his word. And so I want to get deeper into that. I do you no favors by not first caring for my own soul and see that I myself am growing in my faith before I turn to minister the word of God to you. So I do this for you. I'll spend the time thinking and planning and praying about where... Delaware Bible Church will be going. All right, I want to read to you one, a very exciting quote. It's from the employee handbook of Delaware Bible Church. This is what was entered into the employee handbook 10 years ago when I arrived. For each year of service past seven years, beginning in the eighth year. Doesn't that sound like Leviticus to you? <laughs> Sounds just like Leviticus. For each year of service past seven years, beginning in the eighth year, members of the pastoral staff can accumulate one week of sabbatical time per year. A sabbatical is defined as a time to get away from the ministry, to think, study, pray, and plan for the ministry. Pastoral staff will be expected to submit a request for a sabbatical to the elders that includes a detailed plan. Pastoral staff will also be expected to report on the results of the sabbatical to the elders upon their return. So, why, what is the purpose of a sabbatical? Well, here's, I'm going to, maybe a purpose. The purpose of a sabbatical is for, for the one taking it to watch over himself and his doctrine, and for the benefit of them that hear. That's what this is all about. It's not a two-month vacation. It's not two months of being a couch potato. Quite the opposite. Um, it is a time of spiritual and physical refreshment so that I might be a better instrument in God's hands for you. 
All right, some possible application. I didn't put anything on the handout, so you don't have to write these in. Uh, number one, don't leave. Now, you say, well, what do you say that for? And it says, I've talked to other pastors, right? I've talked to other pastors, and they said, yeah, I announced that I was going on sabbatical, and church attendance dropped by like 30% for the whole time, entire time I was gone. Please don't do that. Uh, Pastor Aaron, Pastor Brad, Pastor Jim, even Pastor Marvin uh, have really good prepared things that the Lord has laid on their hearts for you to hear and for the church to be edified. And so don't, don't leave. Um, don't you take a vacation while I'm taking a sabbatical. Uh, so uh, continue to attend Delaware Bible Church. Secondly is pray. Pray for our church. Pray for me and my family as we uh, spend some time away. We're probably going to visit some other churches. Uh, I, I'm specifically targeting those churches that send their kids to Delaware Christian School. I've got some reasons that I want to do that. But uh, uh, I know those pastors. I know a lot of the people that go to those churches. But I've just never worshipped there. So I thought it would be interesting to, to do that. And then lastly, I would encourage you to think. This exhortation that Paul makes to Timothy to keep watch over himself in the doctrine and to, uh, th these are also exhortations for you. It's impossible for us to carry out God's mission and his mandate for us to love him with everything that we've got and love our neighbor as ourselves if we are not people that are in the word, people that are people of prayer, and people that are in true Christian fellowship. And I mean fellowship where you can really open up and tell someone what you're struggling with, where your victories are. Um, those things are absolutely crucial to the Christian life. So while I'm cultivating things in my own life, it might be time for you to think about uh, if you've not cultivated these things in yours. In other words, let me just let me just put an exclamation point on this before I pray and close. Being a Christian is not something that we just say about ourselves. It's something that we live. So if you call yourself a Christian and you never ever spend time in God's word and you never ever spend time in prayer, and you never ever spend time, not only not spending time in true Christian fellowship, but you're actually harboring secret sins. That's a very concerning place for you to be. We live in a world who wants to just wake up one day and say, this is what I am because I've declared it to be so. This book says otherwise about being a Christian. So think about that and consider uh, doing some self-examination of your own. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that you've given us together to sing your praises, to pray together, and to listen to your word. Father, I recognize that my particular plan for sabbatical and the plan that we've cooked up as elders is not the only plan. There's other pastors that do it different ways. Uh, but, uh, Father, I just pray that this time that you've allotted would be spent by me wisely, uh, that 
you would use this time for the edification of your church and as your church is edified that your name would be glorified father i pray for pastor aaron pastor brad pastor jim pastor marvin as they carry on the work here over the next few months that uh, you would bless them and uh, that father uh, the church would carry on and do well we pray these things in jesus name amen God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a great Memorial Day weekend.